Hey everybody, this is Ricky Warwick from Black Star Riders and Thin Lizzy, and you're listening to the Your Morning Coffee Podcast with my very good friends, Mr. Jay Gilbert and Mr. Mike Etark. Weekly music news for the new music business. From music technology policy, must-see documentary, The Way the Music Died. From music business worldwide, major music companies lost billions in value last week after a report led people to believe streaming subscriptions are shrinking. In the UK, music business worldwide doesn't think that idea smells quite right, and we're not alone. And a slightly shorter article from Hypebot. <laughs> Two lawsuits could reshape how much labels pay artists for streaming. Oh, yeah. Jay, what do you say? We jump into Ooh, these stories because this is going to be exciting and fun stuff to talk about. So kick back, everybody, because here we go. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. And top of the morning to you, Jay Gilbert. It is so nice to see you. Great we to see you, my friend. Already for yeah. 28 minutes before we hit record. Yeah. That's, That's very typical. typical for us. Yeah. It is. We have uh, <laughs> we've talked about so much oh already, but now it's time to kick it in and, and actually hit record. Yeah, it is. And before we kind of get going, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll thank our sponsors and all of that, but I wanted to um, touch on a, an article I thought was really super interesting uh, from our friend Glenn Peoples over at Billboard. Um, and the headline was, Vinyl Prices Might Seem High Today. But they were worse in 1978. And sometimes I forget to, you know, incorporate like inflation into some of these dollar amounts. Because you and I were talking last week, I think in the week before, about how the peak of the music industry uh, dollar wise was last year. But if you adjust for inflation, it's like 30 something percent less than that. So we have a long way to go. But what did you think about Glenn's... uh, chart and this article on on vinyl really interesting and of course i graduated from high school in 1978 and was was buying lots of albums and so i you know i remember that year and then what i did i also went around and looked up what the minimum wage with the federal minimum ah. wage was in 1978 it was two dollars and 65 cents so uh you know so you know and that was that was what you did at that when you had a job as a kid in high school is you at least I did. I was always buying records and buying albums, and so that means you ha- you had to have roughly based on these some of these numbers that Glenn po- posted. You had to work almost three hours at a minimum wage job to afford an album. Oh, man. And I know it's crazy. So and and to just make everyone kind of remember what was going on back in 1978. So big out records that year was were, were Saturday Night Fever, of mm-hmm. course, the Grease soundtracks. Um, rumors from Fleetwood Mac that came out in 77 was was still on the charts. Yeah. Uh, Billy Joel's 52nd Street was huge. The Rolling Stones' Some Girls. So these are a lot of different albums that were what super amazing popular albums. at the time. Uh, they oh, they still fantastic. hold up today. I mean, every era, Abs- you know, people probably think that they were born in the, the best era. You know, my, my mom got to see the Beatles. But, you know, I think of it, you know, when I was in high school, and I'm thinking of, you know, all of these that you just mentioned and Tom Petty and just so many great records in that time that I still listen to. And I think they still hold up. 
Yeah, but the, but as the article points out, in 1978, vinyl records were more expensive than at any other time since the RIAA began tracking the sales back in 73. So that year, the average retail sale price of a vinyl LP was $7.32, which is equal to $30.18 in today's dollars when adjusted for inflation. Uh, so <laughs> but 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 so for compar- comparison, the average inflation adjusted LP sale price in 2021 was $25.19. So yeah. that's a considerable difference. It's it's still another five bucks less than than adjusted for inflation. Yeah. The cost for an LP in, in 1978 was. So yeah. I, that was expensive. I encourage people to you know check out the article because Glenn included a chart from like 1973 mm-hmm. to 2019. No, actually, it's 73 to 2021. And it shows the average sale price of, of an album in today's uh, dollars, you know, adjusted for inflation. And it'll surprise you. It's pretty cool. No, absolutely. And, and you know, um, they are uh, Universal Music Group raised prices back in May for their wholesale price on a 2,400 vinyl titles, half of them which are $19 or higher. Warner Music raised their prices on 600 titles back in October of 21. So th- th- they're going to get close, yeah. <laughs> you know. And if you know, we if you know anything about economics, it is scarcity pushes prices up. And with all of the things we've talked about over the last several episodes about the demand for vinyl and yet the the constriction on the on the production side of things yeah. and of course the cost of oil is is so high and so that right. impacts the price of of, PVC. of vinyl and manufacturing yeah. so yeah yeah it will probably get close to that number uh, the $30 number but we're not there just yet yeah just yet just yet by the way jay you know without the sponsors of our show we would be we would be adrift <laughs> so yes sir we do want to thank our the wonderful folks that help put this show on including high Hypebot. Since 2004, Hypebot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing, how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton. With help from Alana Bonilla, Hypebot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Yes, sir. Bands in Town. Over 65 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's a number one artist services platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. That is Bands in Town. Absolutely. So big thanks to Hypebot and Bands in Town. And of course, the guy that I get to do this show with every week, the golden-throated Jay Gilbert. He's the co-founder of music marketing and strategy company uh, Label Logic. He's the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music Groups, and Fox Home Entertainment. Thank you, brother. And this guy sitting across from me that I uh, have the pleasure of talking with every week is Mike Etchart. Longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. Yes, indeed. So, Jay, what do you say we play a little song that will kind of um, get us in the spirit, would you say, for the first story? Yeah, kind of set the stage. Okay, why don't you want to introduce what the song is? Yeah, this is uh, one of my favorite songs. It's uh, by my friend Ricky Warwick, who you might remember from The Almighty and uh, Thin Lizzy and... Uh, his solo work. I, I saw him open for Def Leppard once with an acoustic guitar and no backing band, and he had people on their feet. Anyway, uh, back in 2003, he put out this album called Tattoos and Alibis, and one of the songs has stayed with me, and I refer to it a lot. And uh, it really kind of uh, popped into my head when we're going to talk about this first story. So let's play a few seconds of Three Sides to Every Story. Cause there's three sides to every story Yours, mine, and the truth Three sides to every story Yours, mine, and the truth Yours, mine, and the truth And there it is. There it is. Okay. And the story we're going to talk about is from Music Technology Policy, and it's about a documentary. Now, it's kind of a, it's a YouTube documentary, so I don't think it was like a Netflix documentary. And it's not very long. What is it, 22 minutes? 16 like minutes. 
16 minutes, 16 minutes. But it's called The Way the Music Died. And it's a UK production. Um, and there were artists in it that I wasn't familiar with. And in the documentary, they sat down with music industry professionals and took a dive into how streaming platforms like Spotify are exploiting artists, bleeding the industry dry Mm. and compromising the quality of modern music. Now, those are their words about the bleeding the industry dry. As they say, 2022 has been a historically controversial year for Spotify and its founder, Daniel Ek. They've been thinking about this for a film for a long time, but then it felt like it was the right moment to do it. Uh, They say many of the facts and experiences presented in the documentary are well-known and commonly experienced by artists, but their aim is to share this with everyone, the users of these platforms Mm -hmm. and the fans of every single act on the platform. So the folks that are interviewed in this, uh, Georgia Train, she's a vocalist, songwriter, and vocal coach. Uh, Michigan Fitzgerald, vocalist of uh, Bird Eats Baby, a music teacher and studio engineer. David Milky Hooker, who's a rapper, a producer, and a mental health activist. Mm-hmm. And Krista Banks, founder of Not Saints, an artist manager and touring musician. Yeah, this... this so that sets the table. It does. This video, um, it really focuses primarily on Spotify. Um, and it starts starts off with some interesting Spotify stats, right? Um, Spotify is the world's biggest music streaming service, they said. Um, I would argue that YouTube is the biggest uh, music streaming service, maybe not for revenue, but certainly for uh, volume of music. But let's not mm-hmm. let you know facts get in the way of a good story. Spotify has over 82 million songs on the platform as of this year. And a user base of over 400 million. We talk about that quite a bit. 180 of those, so almost half of those are paying uh, users. That's why they're called premium users, right? They have uh, an estimated 8 million artists on the platform. And it dominates music streaming. Uh, If you look at just pure play DSPs, and let's leave YouTube out of this, uh, they claim that it dominates music streaming with 32% market share, which is uh, double of their nearest competitor, which is Apple Music. In 2021, Spotify made nearly 10 billion euros. That's about $10.5 billion in revenue. Um, They streamed 110 billion hours of music. And for those of you that are keeping track, that's 12 and a half years of music. That's a lot. Um, But here's here's one of the things that I want to talk about a little bit as we move into this is that the documentary states that, quote, the majority of artists received, you know, point zero point zero zero three to zero point zero zero five, which is one third uh, to, you know, one half of a penny for each play. That means to make a dollar, they say they'd need three hundred and thirty streams. But did you catch what they said there? The majority of artists receive that. And as you and I talk about frequently, the DSPs, and let's not just pick on Spotify, but all DSPs, they, they pay the rights holder, and that's typically mm-hmm. the label, um, and then you'll have an agreement with your contract with the, the label, and maybe you get 15%, maybe you get 20%, depending. Um, but they don't always pay, uh, in fact, rarely pay the artist. They'll pay the distributor. Let's say you go through DistroKid, CD Baby, TuneCore. They're going to pay them, and uh, then they will pay you. Um, you know, minus any, you know, annual fee that you pay, but that's where you're going to get, you know, uh, that, uh, that bigger payout is if, you know, you're not unrecouped with a label and you're not getting just a, a percentage um, from that. And so the other thing I want to touch on really quickly, and then we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit more is the, the pro rata or big pool um, versus user centric. And, Whenever I read an article and they say, oh, well, Spotify pays out this. Well, that varies. Um, It Mm -hmm. varies based on, you know, um, the size of that pool, uh, the market share, all sorts of things in that equation. So it's not that simple to just say that they pay out uh, very, very little. Right. So some of the things they brought up in the documentary is um, obviously during the pandemic when touring stopped, Daniel X net worth rocketed to nearly $5 billion. Spotify's market value tripled to $67 billion. Uh, During the pandemic, of course, artists saw diminishing support from the platform. Mm. Mm. Okay. Question mark, right? The more plays we get, the less money we make. Yeah, that was said Uh, by one of the artists. Yeah, that was said. I'm not sure. Okay, carry on. I I just, that doesn't make any sense to me. 
That's right. Uh, so yeah, so we've got uh, th- th- these are these are quotes from the documentary. Mm-hmm. We've got more fans than ever, but we're not really making money from it. Uh, not paying acceptable royalties to artists, basing their songs on Spotify's requires. One of the artists and said she's seeing that certain artists are now basing their songs on Spotify's requirements. Thirty second rule: Can we get to the chorus in the first thirty seconds? Yeah, okay, that's probably. I would, I would just argue that. That's true across the board, and it's same for YouTube. You don't get yep. paid until you hit that 30-second mark. So, you know, and I think just really quickly, if if you're skipping through something and you listen to a few seconds of it, is that a pay and should that, or a play, I should say, and should that be mm-hmm. paid out? The answer is no. And if you're going through TikTok and you're just scrolling through, each one of those little things you pass by is counted as a video view. And so there's different rules for different platforms and you need to be up on that. But when I heard that people are, you know, writing songs differently because of Spotify, I would argue they're writing songs differently because of technology, including YouTube, DSPs, Don't Bore Us, Get to the Chorus. Sorry to interrupt. And by the way, that, that's that's been going on for decades. You know, you you write things kind of for for the radio format in the old days, or or for video format. So I, you know, I kind of, that's that's not anything new. In the documentary, one artist said, "I've got seventy thousand streams on my track, and I've got nothing back." Mm. I don't see how that, well, it could be, who knows, you know, if, if you're, it's not likely, it's possible, but it's not probable. I mean, if way. you're unrecouped. Unrecouped, sure. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe, but. and there's also a delay, there's a lag in, you mm-hmm. know, um, when you get your your payment. I don't know, Mike, you know, I, I see this a little bit differently in that, you know, we talked about that the rights holder typically, typically, it's easy for you to say, gets paid. And, you know, that if you go through an aggregator, you know, um, you'll get the bulk of the revenue. But on the publishing side, you know, you and I had talked about how recently we looked at the top 100 and the average uh, number of co-writes was north of five. And Mm -hmm. I saw a song yesterday that had 12 writers on it. Well, that's going to dilute the pool of publishing. And we're not even we're that's a whole separate thing. But I say all the time that a stream is not worth a download. A download is not worth a CD. And a CD is not worth premium vinyl. But you touched on something before we hit record that I would love to have you expound on because I thought it was really sharp. And that is that there's no guarantees in this business. No. Well, and, you know, it's worth we've talked about this in the past, but it's worth noting that. Before you and I ever sat at a desk in a, in a major label, we were in garages picking up instruments and playing. And so we've played tons of gigs as kids and as young adults and as adults. And, you know, you at the time when we started playing music, you would have to have the ability to to record an album inexpensively like it is now with all of the digital audio workstations like Pro Tools or GarageBand or Logic or, you know, any of one of these things, which are all relatively cheap. Instruments are relatively cheap. Um, you know, we grew up in an era when you'd pay $100 an hour to go into a recording studio and you everybody saved up for that. Yeah. It's so much less expensive now to get professional recordings done, but even more importantly, to immediately upload and make them available to consumers all around the world. Globally. It yeah. is a wonderful opportunity for musicians now. There are no gatekeepers, essentially. And that's the good news and the bad news, right? Be careful what you wish for. And I think we, we've covered a couple of stories in the past where people have said in these articles, you know, just because you can upload music doesn't mean you can you should be guaranteed to make a living from yeah. it. And I think that is, you know, you I don't want to... I don't want to be a jerk about it, but I remember the other way it used to be when, yeah. when you basically were trying to get a, a deal with a label and to for them to pay for you to go into a recording studio and all of these hoops you had to jump for. So again, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Yes, so, so now there are no gatekeepers, right. none whatsoever. And it's very inexpensive to, to record music and to make it sound great and to upload it and make it available for your friends to hear on, on a device. It's crazy. But so I'm thinking in, within that context, when I hear these people come kind of grousing about not being able to, to make money now, uh, but I will couch that statement with, with something else, which is, and I, but I do understand the frustration that you have, you know, the, the, 
the platform itself, Spotify as a company, is valued so high. And Daniel Ek, who of course put the whole thing together and made it happen, and he's worth billions of dollars. Right. So I get that it. is a bit frustrating. Yeah. I, I understand that. And I don't have a great solution. I think you might have mentioned it. What I would love to see is somehow artists being able to somehow tap into the valuation of a company. Yeah, maybe, participate maybe it's at the end of that. the year, yeah. kind of a bonus, you know, where when if 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 the the uh, the company is successful, right. then then share a little love with your artists. Yeah, I think that number one, the uh the fees that are paid for subscriptions are too low, but as you've pointed out mm-hmm. in the past, even if they quadrupled it, it's not going to solve the problem. But I do believe that it's uh undervalued and and we should be paying more for for subscriptions. And yes. I do think that artists should be paid more. Songwriters should be paid more. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there's no ROI in music. This business has a 93% failure rate if you're looking at just ROI. And I think that's really important. They also get upset. And, and again, they're picking on Spotify, but there are a lot more digital service providers, DSPs out there than Spotify. But they, they bring up mm-hmm. Daniel X's statement about releasing music more consistently. Um, his quote was, it's not enough for artists to release music every three to four years. And people were upset about that, but he's 100% right. It's an always on music industry. Um, and we find more success, especially with developing artists when they have a release cadence and regular things, maybe every four to six weeks, putting things in the market, having, um, marketing assets like banner sets and videos and, and all sorts of things, publicity surrounding those things and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, because this is the music business. You know, one, one of the artists complains that it's not feasible due to costs involved, you know, um, and that wealthy artists have an advantage. But I agree with what you said, that, yeah, it is expensive to buy uh, a guitar. Um, it is expensive to buy a drum set, but it always has been. And if you want to be in this, you need to be good at what you do, but you also need those tools. But I see people recording albums. I've had clients record full on albums and EPs from home that sound world-class because we always talk about when you release music today, you're not just competing with the people in your city or in your region. You're, you're, you're on the DSPs right next to, you know, the chain smokers and Drake and Doja cat or whatever. And you gotta be buttoned up. So one other point is they they talk about how it's devaluing the music. And I'm I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, To your point, it gives you this larger uh, global um, access to that fan base. But, of course, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of tracks being uploaded every week. But the one part of this thing that I totally agree with is they talk about the mental health Um, ramifications, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. important to you and me. And we have talked about this and we will continue talking about it because today when you put out music, um, it's, it's more challenging. And I'll walk through a couple of things and I'd love to get your thoughts on it, Mike, like the way that I see it. And of course that's just my opinion. I could be wrong is number one, you have to write great songs. You just have to and you have to record great songs and you have to play great live shows. So let's put that aside first and foremost, right? Mm-hmm. If you can do that, well, then today, which is different than when you and I were playing music, you have to worry about things like Facebook, Instagram, you know, Twitter, YouTube. You might be on, on Patreon. You might be on Twitch. That's a full-time job right there. So the next thing you have to do is you got to look and see how you're performing. Spotify for artists, Apple Music for artists, you know, Amazon Music for artists, YouTube Analytics, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Vibrate. There's so many different places to look and see if what you're doing is helping to grow your audience, right? And then finally, I, I tell people all the time, it starts with the street team. And that could be your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mom, your dad. But it, at its core, you start with that street team. And then you go from there with evangelists and you find later a a publicist and maybe somebody who's into sync and you start worrying about things like merch and then your imaging and branding like photos and videos, the list goes on and on and on. And that can have a toll on your mental health. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you can point a finger at one DSP and say, these, these people are bad and it's affecting my mental health. 
Yeah, I don't think so either. Although it's certainly a consideration, and of course we rightly so have so much more awareness about mental health, and that's it is hard to be an artist. Boy, it really is. And then when you when you wrap in that expectation of expecting um, a living, you know, to, to, to earn a living wage or to earn enough money to comfortably live while pursuing your art, I'm not, that's an unrealistic expectation. It's never been like that. Um, but you know, you it, it it's the it's the business we have now, and so you have to kind of work around that and found find your water level. Um, but I think. You know, I, I think we both kind of looked at this documentary somewhat with with kind of cocked heads, going, "I don't think that I'm not sure I agree with a lot of this stuff." But it's, but it, but it's, it's a, if nothing else, it's it's certainly um, a barometer for how artists feel at the moment. Yeah, it really and is. What, yeah, and whether 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 rightly or not, yeah. that I think a lot of people are looking at Spotify as as the enemy. And yeah. as you pointed out, there's there's they're not the only DSP. Um, they pay and, more than YouTube, the, and there's other right. DSPs. And again, not to say that you know uh, they're wrong in this documentary. Some of the things that they bring up are spot on. But no one promised you that you're going to make a living with music. No. Number one, and number two, if you look at streaming and the payouts. Um, do your research and, you know, uh, get the facts on this stuff because, you know, Spotify is paying out like 70% of the revenue they take in. And that's the same that, you know, iTunes did. And whether you agree if that's fair or not fair, um, take a look at that. And, and also when you're looking at, uh, this documentary, um, I would hope that there would be another side you know, it's like Ricky Warwick says, there's three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth. And I only heard one side of this and it wasn't fully explained. Like if you didn't get any money from your streaming, why not? Let's talk about your deal with your label. Let's talk about when it came out. Let's talk about all of that. Maybe there is a problem there, um, but mm-hmm. I do know artists that are making revenue uh, from streaming. Um, maybe they go through DistroKid and they pay an annual fee and so they get a, a lion's share of that revenue. And then there are some that maybe get a, a big advance from a record label and it's not recouped yet. And, you know, you look at these statements and holy cow, they are, they're very confusing and there's a lot of different line items and it's a lot more complex than people think it is. But this wasn't a fair and balanced uh, approach to this issue. And I think we're just trying to be kind of the counterweight to that a little bit. And again, mm-hmm. let me stress this. We're not saying that artists shouldn't be paid for their work. We absolutely should. Um, I think artists, songwriters absolutely should be paid more. But it's more complex than just poking at one DSP. Well, and as, as you point out, one of the challenges of, of having these conversations is really kind of make, comparing apples to apples. And it's so hard, as, as you've just said, you know, when you, when you look at these people talking in this documentary about their situation, there's so many things you can't know or you don't know, and you have to kind of dig in and, and, and find out what their deal is. What, what, is, what do they have going on in the background? And, it's, and just like it's, it's tough to, when you talk about Spotify and how much artists make, it's different every month in terms of the pool. And so just having these conversations, you really have to level set at the beginning and kind of get as much information as you can to really have a cogent conversation about what's fair, what's not fair, yeah. because it's a shifting landscape and, yeah. and it's different for different artists, what kind of deals they have, what it's just, it's really hard to, to do. 100%. Apples. And you know, a little bit of shameless self-promotion before we move on to the next one is that if you read your morning coffee, the newsletter, if you listen to the podcast every week, you're going to hear all sides of these issues and they're evolving and changing. And Mike and I like to say that they've changed while we've been having this conversation. So, you know, listen to other sources, you know, mm-hmm. read. And if you're too busy to read, um, listen to the podcast. We'll keep you posted on all of this. Yeah. And it's easy to get to get hysterical. And this kind of the, the next article is sort of along those lines. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, this is from Music Business Worldwide, and as you said, this this may be the longest title for an article we've longest ever headline we've ever seen. We love it though, and I, I know I gush often about Tim Ingham. He's one of my all time favorites, 
You know, he runs that great team over at Music Business Worldwide. His podcast is amazing. Um, I, I think he might be a robot. Um, I've never heard him make a mistake. So, Tim, if you're listening, um, I'm on to you. Um, but his what I love about his pieces, and they're different than most writers, in that he does the research and he's on the earnings calls, just like Glenn Peoples is and some of these other really great analysts and writers. Um, and so it's not just his opinion. He's looking at these headlines and going, wait a second, wait a second. Yeah. So if you didn't hear it in the intro, here's, here's the headline. Major music companies lost billions in value last week after a report led people to believe streaming subscriptions are shrinking in the U.K., Music business worldwide doesn't think that idea smells quite right, and we're not alone. Wow, I need <laughs> that a nap. Is a wordy title. Yes. <laughs> um, I, by the way, I would also point out both Glenn and Tim are also very cheeky. You know, they're 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 kind they're of sassy. smart alecky. Yes, they're <laughs> sassy. Exactly. So to kind of cue this up, um, yeah. as he says, the latter half of last week wasn't a particularly fun period to be the CEO of a major music company or indeed of Spotify. So on Friday, the 17th of June last week, a report from consumer survey platform Kantar began in inspiring global headlines that carried rather grim news for the global music industry. So the BBC reported cost of living, music subscriptions canceled to save money. A periodical called Deadline ran with UK music streaming subscriptions shrink as customers try to save money. And Kantar itself posted a blog entitled Is Inflation Squeezing Consumers Out of the Music Streaming Market? The sky is falling, my friend. Yes, it is. Let me get my hard hat on. Uh, so what... what uh, so what happened? So Universal Music Group's market cap fell by over $4 billion on Thursday, June 16th, according to YC Charts data. Spotify's tumbled by $1.45 billion on the same day. Warner Music Group's dipped by nearly a full billion dollars. Wow, so that's insane. Ooh, pretty soon you're talking about real money. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just so crazy, that much uh, market cap loss. And, you know, the, as Tim points out, that that report's devastating conclusion was that over 1 million music subscriptions were canceled in calendar Q1 this year in the UK with quote wanting to save money unquote being cited as the th uh, by 37% of the consumers as the reason and he said that certainly doesn't sound positive, especially when you consider that Kantar put out a similarly damning report about UK consumer cancellation about Netflix in Q1, and that shortly after Netflix admitted that it had lost 600,000 subscribers globally in Q1 2022, and now expects another 2 million net subscriber loss for Q2. So we have to say that elements of the Kantar's latest report, certainly the doom-laden media and investor reaction to it, have left music business worldwide a little puzzled. And he goes on to talk about, you know, why this, why this loss of subscriptions happened, and they talk about churn. Um, and he said, for one thing, a million UK subscribers quitting their music services in a given quarter is actually kind of expected. Right, of course, and you know we've talked about this a lot. You, you, especially on the on the movie television side. You know, we you, we all as consumers have so much, so many decisions to make. You know, how many subscriptions do you want to carry? Do you want to have Hulu, HBO, Netflix? You know, all of these things, Disney Plus, and um, and you have to you have to kind of include a music <laughs> subscri subscription service in there as well. It's so funny you but, mentioned that, Mike, because yesterday I was I was talking with Glenn Peoples, and he rattled off everything that he subscribes to, and I, and I think I went and got coffee, came back, you <laughs> yes. know, let the dogs it's out. Stunning! It's incredible. And, and it, Yes. And so we all as consumers make decisions on which ones do we want to keep. But I think as you and I have talked about a lot, music, while included in that, is kind of off to the side. Most people only have one music service. Yeah. You and I being... Because the, the, the product is the same basically on all the DSPs, yes. but on Hulu and Disney and all of those, it really is not, right? Exactly. Exactly. But even, even the music companies have churn. 
you know, people come and go in the subscription service for a variety of reasons. And so what, what they kind of do, what, what Tim does is kind of go, well, what, what is typical churn? And there was an interesting thing back, when, when was this, that, that, um, oh, yeah. there was a, a yeah, they they had talked just a few weeks Spotify. ago. Yeah, yeah, just they, they don't talk about churn very often. But but this there, there was something that happened. A, a presentation. Let me go back to the. Yeah, it was that. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was, it was when Spotify. Yes, when they did their four hour investor day yes. presentation, they they was in that presentation. A bunch of important numbers were revealed for the first time, including topically the fact that Spotify's user growth in uh, Latam has appears to be slowing down. So at the end of that. The CFO, Paul Vogel, took to the stage and talked about some of the things uh, in, in which everybody's interested in is churn. Here it is. A.K.A. the amount of paying subscribers who leave the service in a given monthly period. So he revealed that in past few years, Spotify has seen strong reduction in its churn rates, mm. which, as Spotify has today, June 20th, confirmed to music business worldwide, are, eval- are calculated on a monthly basis. Yeah. So he claimed that in 2017, Spotify's global monthly churn rate was 5.5% and that this had been reduced to 3.9% by 2021. Right. And what's more, he said uh, Spotify's churn rate in developed markets, including the UK, fell to just 2.4% at the end of 2021. So that gives you... So there is obviously monthly downturn um, but boy, this churn rate is down to 2.4% in major markets. That's Man, I th- can you imagine if people at Netflix would be dancing on the table if they right. had that low of a churn rate? Well, again, don't let facts get in the way of a good story. You know, Tim points out, how many UK-based people would you expect to be unsubscribing from music streaming service each month You know, via these numbers? The answer, six hundred and almost 694,000 per month or 1.8 million people per quarter. That's more than the million unsubscribes Kantar reported uh, for a very normal quarter in the UK, based on a churn rate so small, Spotify is beaming about it. So they're turning this thing that shocked everybody, and there were headlines everywhere. You know, it's Netflix all over again. People are jumping off of streaming services. It's, you know, it costs too much. They want to save money. Yeah, no, no. What really Not happened so was they have a regular churn rate, which yeah. is actually falling. And this was actually a number that Spotify was very happy about. Yeah. So, but it also goes to show you the power of of media and bad news and its impact, or supposed bad news, and its impact on the valuation of these companies and how quickly the things can just downturn. Yeah. It's, it's pretty shocking. But you know, and I, it, we all know that economics is so much psychology. You know, you if you yes. believe something is happening, that's self fulfilling prophecy. Perception is reality. Your, your your behavior will in fact make that thing happen. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of funny how. <laughs> but I'd love that Tim kind of just said, "Wait a minute." And there's one other thing that he pointed out I thought was funny, too, that was like, huh? He said that, you know, one one particular element of Kantar's survey uh, seemed, in his words, wobbly. The firm's report suggests that some of the main reasons for under 35s, at least in the UK, the reason they're planning to cancel their music subscriptions include a wi- uh, not a wide enough selection of music, huh? Uh, too many advertisements or having technical difficulties, uh, too many advertisements on an ad-free music subscription? He goes, A? Question mark. So, so look, the only question that really matters here is, was the volume of UK streaming subscribers still growing in Q1 or not? And he says, by all accounts, yes, it was. Yeah, absolutely. So Great piece. You know, yeah, it's a great piece. And it's, uh, again, we, we, we love the, we love music business worldwide. And, and one of the great things, too, is they, they, they're based in the UK, yeah. and so it gives it gives you a UK thing. And you know, one of the things that we learned basically when when we were marketing artists, you know, the UK is a relatively small country, and things happen very quickly there. And so you can see how this sort of a news cycle, things can just get, whoa, this is you know, the sky is falling, right? Very fast, faster there than it is here in the US. And so these things, it, it's great to get that viewpoint. Uh, a UK viewpoint in, uh, from music business worldwide. It's, yeah. it's very different the way the markets operate over there than here, just in terms of the of the rapidness with which right. things can happen. Yeah, they're painting this global music business, you know, with this UK report, which is a little bit misleading. And I'll just 
leave it by saying that there was an executive from Believe that said there's nothing that we're seeing right now that indicates a significant drop off in UK music market subscriber growth numbers. So uh, the sky is not falling. No, it's not. No, it is not. So, all right. Well, let's since we're all of these are these articles were so well um, uh, intertwined. Jay, yeah. So very lovely of you to do that. Huh. Uh, the next thing is from Hypebot. Two lawsuits could reshape how much labels pay artists for streaming. So, yeah. Let's jump over to that. A lot story of talk because, this week, especially about yeah. the the first one. Um, let's kick it off by saying that uh, Bruce Houghton, our friend over at Hypebot, mm-hmm. wrote this. And these are two lawsuits that the industry was sort of buzzing about. More so, I think, the Fortet versus Domino. Um, And as uh, Bruce points out, you know, two lawsuits, one involving indie artist Fortet and the other legendary rockers Orleans, take aim at how record labels calculate streaming payments to artists. Collectively, they could have a major impact on how much artists get paid when their music is streamed on Spotify, Apple Music, and other DSPs. Talk a little bit about this Fortet thing. It's super interesting. Yeah, so back in August of 2021, Fortet, whose name is uh, Kieran Hebden, sued UK indie label Domino for applying a historic royalty rate to streaming revenue and downloads of four albums he released on the label between 2001 and 2010. So let's not forget, if you signed a label deal back in 2001, it was a completely different universe. Absolutely. <laughs> completely different. So, you know, you, you had all kinds of things related to physical product, and that's just not the way it is. So it says, it says when he signed, streaming services didn't exist. His contract at the time stipulated an 18% royalty rate for physical sales, and that's what Domino then paid on streaming. On streaming. Okay, that's okay. Whoa. Uh, so his lawsuit argued that a 50% royalty was reasonable and sought damages. So last November, Domino retaliated by pulling his first three albums off all streaming services. Yeah, that's when the shit that's hit the pretty- fan. That's pretty uncool. Yep. Uh, but but last week, the lawsuit was settled with Domino agreeing to pay the full 50% and that streaming should be treated as a license rather than the same as a CD or vinyl sale. Huge. So that is really interesting. Huge. Treated as a license rather than the same as a CD or uh, or, or vinyl sale. Um uh, so while not binding on other labels and artists, Domino's settlement uh, agreeing to pay 50% sets a precedent that others may be forced to follow. At a minimum, expect more lawsuits based on similar claims. Oh, yeah. So very Count on interesting. It. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. So that the was super one, interesting. Um, yeah. And I think that we're this isn't the last we're going to hear about this. You know, this is very important. This is a huge deal in the music business right now. So, and as, as you were just about to point out, you know, this, the second one was Orleans, uh, the band Orleans. Um, I don't know if you remember, I know you and I remember them, but um, they had a couple of big hits with dance with me and still the one uh, huge songs. They had uh, uh, a lawsuit with Warner music and this one, um, could also have a broad impact on how artists are compensated for streaming, right? They're, they're still active uh, today, and their lawsuit alleges that Warner has been deducting international intercompany charges, right? Intercompany charges <laughs> from its foreign affiliate companies that unfairly reduces what they and other artists get paid. Hmm. In their lawsuit... Um, the, the two key guys in Orleans, they, they call foreign fees a relic of the days when the collection of revenues from foreign record sales entailed significant labor. With digital streaming and then digital reporting, revenue collection and payment should now be virtually automatic. And this is a class action lawsuit, you know, and it, they, mm-hmm. they say it's potentially a game changing lawsuit you know, um, because of that class action status. So beyond eliminating onerous fees that reduce Orleans royalties, it could mean fairer payments for thousands. Holy cow. A couple of really big uh, conclusions to some lawsuits this week. Yeah, and these, of course, are these legacy contracts. And Orleans has been around since the 70s. Um, And that still the one, they must kill it still on on commercials and television licensing. I mean, that I you hear still it all hear the time. 
all the time. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the, the most famous sort of legacy thing in contracts is breakage, right? So remember, you, they deduct <laughs> a certain amount of money for breakage. And of course, there's no digital breakage anymore. Well, let me, but a let's lot talk about contracts, that just for a second. Yeah. Just for those that don't sure. know, it used to be that you would ship these CDs and vinyl records to, you know, when I worked at Tower Records, and a certain small percentage of them of them would be either defective or broken. And it was mm-hmm. well less than 1%. And it cost so much more money to box those up and ship them back that UPS was getting rich. And finally, the record label said, wait a second, we're just going to extend a certain discount to you for breakage. And if if you don't have 1% that's broken, you can just keep that money. But that breakage became different things over the years. And I remember in the download era, it was if you earned money from, let's say, mp3.com and they paid you a hundred million dollars, uh, you know, for a lawsuit because they were using your music at a time that fell under breakage and, and it's been evolving over time. And so to your point, there are all sorts of things in these contracts that are, you know, from these old, old contracts that may or may not make sense in this new music business. But you have an artist like Orleans who's literally been around or is being paid on contracts that were drawn up in the early 70s, I think, probably. Um, yeah, there's just so much of it doesn't make sense. And nobody has taken the time to go back. And, and you know, I think you could probably make the case that nobody's in a super big hurry over there at Warner Music Group to, to go back and adjust these contracts or to make... Um, make changes to make it a little bit more fair. So, you know, there's a lot of artists out there that are still kind of stuck under these these old out out of date contracts. And so maybe this is going to shake the tree a little bit and make some pretty substantial I hope it does, make some super substantial changes because it's you know, there's a, there's a lot of active artists making a lot of money live yeah. and whose songs are still being played on the radio. And I'm sure, and we've, we've talked about countless times about how important catalog is for the streaming services and it was how it's just a big number is catalog Huge. artists in terms of, yeah, enormous. Yeah. Um, you're talking about a lot of money and I can see why Warner Music Group, not at the risk of, of singling them out since they are mentioned in this article or others, other major labels. Yeah, we'll get to that eventually. Maybe yeah. not. Big, maybe maybe now they're gonna they're gonna have a a fire lit to kind of force the issue. Yeah, it's it's been a big week in music news. Uh, we we tell you every week, you know, check your morning coffee, the newsletter. Man, the last few weeks have been ridiculous at just the sheer yes. volume, not of just music news, but really important uh, music news. And we try to do the best we can to um, talk about it on this podcast. And I try to do the best job I can at curating the newsletter. But there's only so much space in that newsletter. And yeah. it was, again, an embarrassment of riches last uh, week or two. Well, and I will give you the shout out that I do often, which is we are so fortunate that you spend the time to do that because, you. you know, it, it hasn't been that long where you'd get, you know, you, you, would, you could read Billboard. You could read a handful of other publications that were pretty much trade-only publications. If you were an artist out there, you didn't have that access. Um, but you make, you're the kid in class that's the smart kid that, that, that makes it easy for all of us knuckleheads out there to, <laughs> to kind of uh, take advantage of, of all the time you put in. Well, and thank it's, you. I'm it's not such the, a great resource. I'm not the such smartest guy resource. in the room, but I'm definitely one of the most curious. <laughs> and I love digging into this stuff with you uh, with you every week. Uh, I'm learning just like everybody else. It's, it's changing fast and furious. It is, but you know, I, I, I'm still stuck, uh, struck by how marvelous it is. And, and we can talk till the cows come home about the, about how, how streaming can be fixed to make it more fair for artists without a doubt. But just from a consumer standpoint, the ability to immediately call up a song you're you're having a conversation or to listen to yes we've got these devices in our back pocket it's miraculous oh, and it's and and to a bit to just you know have go you know i wonder what what is that song on steely dan's asia the third track that i haven't for a long time i'm just gonna call it up right now you know and and you could even we, use your voice both... if you wanted to on a lot of these it's it's like star trek i remember yes. a comedian recently uh talking about somebody who was on a flight and they were upset and complaining that the Wi-Fi was out. And he was like, you're in an airplane, you know, at <laughs> right. 40,000 feet, flying uh-huh. through the air at 600 miles an hour, and you're complaining, you're in this modern miracle. 
right? And I feel like that about streaming sometimes. I can't believe that I have this little device that I can just say, hey, device, you know, play this track, you know, like while I'm driving, whatever, and it plays it. And it's abs- and then there's a lyrics come up. It's, it's insane how cool right. that is. Absolutely. And I am particularly thinking about this because I've been moving my daughter who's in college and she's in between apartments. And when I was doing that, when I was in college, that move entailed um, a gigantic uh, crates full of albums and a huge stereo system and all of this gear that you used to have to carry your library around, which was very limited, limited by your $2.65. And talk about how much those crates of vinyl weighed. Oh my God, they were just backbreaking, you know, and that was always the first thing that you packed away and moved. And, you know, that's just, it's just a foreign concept for my kids that, I mean, even though they like vinyl and, and, and recognize it, but the kind of the, the non portability of music in, in our era. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's a marvelous time to be a music fan and we are spoiled um, to have the access that we have. And then to say nothing, and you and I have talked about this a lot, YouTube, that's, that's all of the recorded oh music that you get on the streaming services. So you jump over to YouTube, you want to hear live versions, you want to hear interesting covers, you want to hear how the song was made, you want to hear the multi-tracks, somewhere all that stuff's lying around and yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah. There's not enough hours in a day. Um, you could sit on YouTube all day long and just go down that rabbit hole. But you're absolutely right. We are very thankful and very spoiled that we have access to all of this. But we'll wrap it up with a bow by saying that, it, you know, YouTube, um, Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer, all the DSPs, you know, we want everyone to pay their fair share and we want artists and writers to get their fair share. And I think we're finally headed in that direction with the Copyright Royalty Board and some other things. Mm-hmm. But it's it's going to take time because a lot of these uh, rules and regulations and laws are from like the 1900s. Yeah, exactly. So, but there have been a lot of a lot of successes this year um, that 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 have been encouraging. So, let's hopefully continue that uh, that thing that those improvements, and then let's wrap up this edition. We want to thank Hypebot and Bands in Town certainly for making it happen, and thank all of you for listening. Jay and I do not take that for granted one little bit. So, thank you for doing that. Next week is episode ninety nine, Jay, on the march wow. towards our first one hundred episodes, and thank you all for continuing. To, to continue to hang with us as we uh, <laughs> yeah. as we stumble on our words Absolutely. and as we get uh, the technology wrapped up. So we appreciate it. And on that note, have a fabulous week, everyone. We'll see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.